Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we give you thanks for your holy written word, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. Thank you for the anointing upon our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be open, and for revelation to flow into our spirits. We give thanks to you for utterance in the Holy Ghost that I may boldly proclaim the truth of your word in demonstration of the spirit of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about moving on with God. I will reiterate a few points. Number one, the Christian life is like a journey of experiences in God that begins with the act of regeneration and continues throughout the course of one's life until he departs from this realm of life to be with the Lord. We are responsible to move on with Him from place to place, from experience to experience, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, as we continue to pursue or strive for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. We said failure to move on with God can result in different things. It can result in becoming spiritually lazy or spiritual laziness. It can result in becoming complacent or a loss of spiritual, loss of spiritual initiative can be the result. It can result in one entering into a backslidden condition or state of being, walking in darkness, being overcome by sin, falling back into sin. Ultimately, of course, the enemy would want us to commit the unpardonable or the unforgivable or the sin unto death. That would be his ultimate aim and goal. It can also result in one failing to enter into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ and also dying prematurely. So he said no matter where we are at in God at this particular point in time, there's a whole lot more to be obtained. Amen? There's a whole lot more to be obtained. And therefore, each and every one of us should make the decision to always be going forward in God and not turning back. To continue going forward in God and not turning back. Well, what are we pursuing? Exodus chapter 23, beginning at verse 20, will enlighten us. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. God always prepares a place for His people. Beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. Mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly destroy overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, 
He shall bless your bread and your water. I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. Skip on down to verses 32 and 33. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. The example of the Israelites partaking or appropriating the blood and the flesh, the flesh and the blood of the animal sacrifice, being delivered from Egyptian bondage, going through the Red Sea, being led by the cloud and the fire of the Spirit of God, and then finally going from place to place and making their final entrance into Canaan's land, which was their ultimate goal, is a type of the believer's journey here upon this earth. And we see that in that place, God had great things in store for His people. Well, beloved, we didn't partake of that sacrificial lamb. We partook of the Lamb of God that was slain. We have applied the blood of the new and everlasting covenant to our lives, the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of sins. That was applied for the eternal redemption of all mankind. We have partaken of the flesh of the Son of the living God, the bread of life, the true bread of life that has come down from heaven. And that was our beginning. And from that point, we began our journey toward our promised land. Dedicated to going through the water, being baptized in water, being filled with that same fire, the Holy Ghost and power, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then from place of experience to experience, from level of spirituality to another, from one place of glory to another, until we finally make our way into the place that God wants us to be in, where these things will be manifest. Number one, in verse 21. And I want us to make note of this because it's important that we establish our vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where people do not set goals, they have nothing to strive for, nothing to reach out to obtain in life. God wants to take us to a place where, number one, we are living in obedience to His laws and commandments, doing His will. Verse 21, be aware, beware of Him, obey His voice, provoke Him not, for He will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in Him. In other words, a place of obedience to divine law. He wants us to enter into a place of obedience to divine law. That's what He required of them. That's what He wanted for them in their lives. For them to be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Secondly, is found in verse 24, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them. A place where we are not given to other gods or influences. A place where we utterly overthrow them and break down the image or the images that they place before us. In other words, a place where we overthrow all the things and overcome all the things 
that the enemy has set up before our lives to prevent us from going on with God. Number one, we overthrow and pull down the God of intellect. Thank God for intelligence, but let's not make it our God. Amen? Thank God for the wisdom of this world in its proper use, but let's not make it our God. For we speak wisdom that is far above the wisdom of this world. Had the princes of this world known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We're talking about overthrowing the sex God. Overcoming immorality. Sexual immoralities and impurities to a place that we're not given over to the lusts of our flesh in that particular sense. But we rise up above it. And we can go on and name everything. Any God. The money God. The pride God. The materialistic God. Where we're living our lives down here upon this earth to satisfy our own personal sensual desires through the deceitfulness of riches. We pull down, in other words, anything and everything that stands between us and our service to a living God, the living God that made the heavens and the earth. We have no other gods standing in our way. That was the place that God wanted them, wanted them to enter into. Thirdly, we see it was a place where these people actively serve their God, the living God, in verse 25. And ye shall serve the Lord your God. The true and living God that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. A place where our lives are dedicated and consecrated to His service and to His will. This was the place that God wanted to bring them into, to take them into. I will bring thee unto a land, unto a place where you make quality decisions to be obedient to me. To my divine laws and commandments. A place where you overthrow every other known false God. An image that stands between us. A place where you live your life consecrated to me. To my service and to my will. To the service of my kingdom. To my program upon the earth. A place. And finally, number four. In verse 32 and 33. A place where you make no covenant. With those who are not of the faith, where you live a separated and segregated life from those that stand for the works of darkness. For they shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. A place where we make a decision that will not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Where the believer will not marry the non-believer. Where the believer will not enter into a business covenant relationship with a non-believer. Where believer will work together with believer to accomplish the purpose and the will of God. We'll not yoke ourselves up together, putting ourselves in bondage to anyone who is not of the faith. And young people, please listen. You don't marry non-believers. You don't yoke yourself up together with non-believers. Otherwise, it says, they'll get you to turn your back on me and serve their gods. To a place here then where we are obedient to God, we overthrow other gods, we actively serve our God, and a place where we live a separated, sanctified life unto God Himself, 
we become vessels of honor, channels of His power and of His grace, of His mercy. We're filled with God, full of God, and His power flows out of our lives. We say that's all that God requires of us. But look at this, my brother and sister. It's also a place where God can do some things for us. Verse 25. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and He shall... Make note. He shall bless your bread and your water. That's talking about more than what we eat and drink. The expression represents every imaginable blessing that God can possibly bestow upon mankind. That's what that means. We have a New Testament counterpart or fulfillment of that scripture found in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Don't have to turn to it. It just says that our God is able to do for us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Every blessing imaginable and even beyond man's imagination. I will bestow upon these people. I will bless your bread. I will bless your water. Notice he said, be separate, come out from among them, separate yourself. I will be a God to you. You will be my people. I will bless your bread. See, same language. I will bless your bread. I will bless your water. You will serve me. I will be your God. It will be well with thee. I will bestow upon you an abundance of my blessings above your ability even to imagine, above all that you ask or think. Secondly, and this is to be taken literally, I will take, in verse 25, take sickness away from the midst of thee. Before I go any further, I want to say that this is going to be one of the most important messages that we hear along the lines of faith and experiencing the fullness of the blessings of God and walking in not only divine healing, but also divine health and divine life. So please make note of it. Put it in your heart and put it in your mind. I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. God was not mocking us. The Israelites had the potential to live free from sickness and from disease. And it's time we realize that instead of opposing this kind of teaching, let's put forth all the effort and energy that we need to enter into this great tremendous promise of the living God. It was based on the conditions we already listed above. I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of thee. Literally where I will protect you from it all. And we saw this fulfilled in the lives of the Israelites when he brought them out. And the Bible says there was not one feeble among their tribe. It was fulfilled. And it was constantly fulfilled when they were in obedience to God. But it goes on to say, thirdly, and we find this in verse 26, there shall nothing cast their young. In other words, there will not be any miscarriages. Nothing will cast their young. Nor be barren in thy land. No infertility, no sterility. Nothing will cast their young. No miscarriages. No infertility. No one will be sterile. 
For children are the heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man that has his quiver full. God wants to see to it that we rear up a godly people unto himself. And here is the promise based on the conditions. I know in the day in which we live, some of these things sound unrealistic. But you know what, my brother and sister? They are a reality. And they can be a reality in our lives. You say, but you know, I experienced a miscarriage. Or I experienced this in my life. Beloved, I want you to know something. God loves every single one of us. He cares about every single one of us. Pick up and go on and say glory to God in the name of Jesus by the blood of the everlasting covenant. It's not going to happen again in my life. I'm going on. I'm moving on with God. Thank God we can move on. No matter what setback we've had in life, pick up and go on. Do not be destroyed by the forces of darkness. He goes on to say, the number of thy days. In other words, this scripture reveals to us once again that man does not really have a set time to die. The Bible, the Bible never says that. It says that with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. I will fulfill the full length of thy days. I'll give you long life, longevity, in other words. I'll see to it that I prolong your days upon the earth. If there are things that we can do to have our days prolonged upon the earth, it's obvious that we do not have a set time to die. It's a point under man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. But the Bible does not say that a particular day and time is our time. Hezekiah was a perfect example of that. He was to die, the Bible said. By the word of the Lord, Isaiah the prophet spoke and said, Thou shalt surely die. He turned his face to the wall. He sought the Lord. And 15 years were added to his life. Thank God. Thank God. We can turn hopeless situations around. Amen. And then finally we see something else that he said in verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. And here he is literally saying, I will defend you. I will fight for you. I will lift up the right hand of my righteousness, which is the authority of my power. And I will overthrow those that come against you because you belong unto me. What a place. What a glorious place that we are all entering into in God. This should be our goal. Our vision should be shared with one another. All of us, we desire the best that God has. The fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Turn with me, if you would please, to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua and Caleb made it in to the promised land through personal faith and through holy following the Lord. Before I share some important truths about how we can see to it that our faith will take us in, I want to share some thoughts about what will prevent us from entering into the promise of God, the fullness of the benefits of God, so that by this example we can protect ourselves from making the same mistake that these people made. In Joshua chapter 14, we 
read there and we saw that Caleb made it in because he had another spirit inside him. He had the spirit of faith. He didn't speak out against the Word of God. He spoke in harmony with the Word of God, even though his five physical senses contradicted what the Word of God said. And in verse 7 it says, Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart, not as it was according to my five physical senses. My five physical senses told me defeat. But my heart on the inside said, My God is more than enough. And I rose up to the occasion. And the God who is bigger on the inside of me put me over and gave me my mountain. That was the attitude of Caleb. Nevertheless, in verse 8, and this is what we are to avoid. My brethren that went up with me, he's talking about the other ten spies, may the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. One way to see to it that we do not make it into the plan, into the fullness of God's plan for our lives is to speak out against the work of God by agreeing with our fears and doubts, by agreeing with our five physical senses and exalting those things which we see above the Word of the living God. That's one way to see to it. When we speak out against healing, when we speak in favor of sickness and disease, when we worry and have anxiety and murmur and complain, speaking out against the plan, the program, and the word of the living God that shall not return void, but will accomplish the purpose of His will and prosper in the thing whereto He sent it that He watches over to perform, then we can be sure that we're going to be kept out of the fullness of the blessings of God. They experienced some blessings, but not the fullness of the blessings. It was personal faith that was going to take them all the way in, and they failed. Turn with me while I'm saying this to Numbers, chapter 14, quickly. And secondly, speaking negatively so as to influence the heart of the people of God in a negative way to cause their hearts to melt like wax. They were leaders, representatives, people who were entrusted by God to take a leader's role before the people. And they spoke out in a negative sense, in a negative way against the program of God. And they caused the hearts of the people to, to, to melt like wax within them. The, the influence, in other words, that they had upon these people was wrong. It was negative, pessimistic. And because of their negative, doubtful, pessimistic, fearful attitude, these ten men were responsible for delaying the program of God for 40 years. For 40 years. And because of their fear, doubt, and unbelief, they were judged by God. And I want you to see what happened. Verse 26. Numbers 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? And their murmuring was the result of the ten spies, the leaders who spoke negative to them, who exalted their senses above what their hearts should have known about the Word of God. 
I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, if you've spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. A law of faith says what a man believes in his heart and says with his mouth he will have. They said we can't and they were right. Joshua and Caleb said we could and they were right. If we say we can't, we say we can. We're both right. Say unto them in verse 28, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you've spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. The fulfillment of that scripture, Mark eleven twenty-three, And we should say it a hundred times over. Every single day. What I'm saying is either displeasing or pleasing to God. What I'm saying is either in faith or fear. What I'm saying is either in love or selfishness. What I'm saying is either going to affect me for good or for evil. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's going to open up a highway for God or make an avenue for Satan to move. Your carcasses, in verse 29, shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come to the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said would be a prey, then will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. God spared them because they were not responsible at that time. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years because you've delayed the program of God. Look at this. And bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. And the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days each day for a year, shall be your iniquities, even forty years. And ye shall know my breach or revoke of promise. And I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. And the men, here it is, you ready for it? which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil, evil report upon the land died, that's not long life, by the plague, underline the word, it's M-A-G-G in the Hebrew, E-P-H-A-H, M-A-G-G, E-P-H-A-H. And it means... A pestilence or a stroke or heart failure before the Lord. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by heart failure. It seemed like the hand of the Lord was removed. And these men that had fear and doubt and all these things, cowardice, in their heart that delayed the work of God for 40 years because of their inability to see beyond their five physical senses were judged by the Lord. Those who influenced in a negative way the ones that God gave them charge over that brought confusion to their hearts and to their minds died. And isn't it impressive? Heart failure. Think about it. Heart failure. Caleb had another heart, another spirit, another attitude. From his heart, he spoke with his mouth, experienced the fullness of God's blessings. From their heart, they spoke with their mouths, and instead of life, they got death and died prematurely. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? Exactly. Well, beloved...
I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. And I'm going to give us some other scriptures that I want you to write down, but I want you to make a note of this. If our faith is going to take us into the promised land, it's going to have to operate by love. I'm going to say that again. If our faith is going to take us into the promised land where we experience all these manifold blessings of God, it is going to have to operate by love. Those men were not considering the lies of the people that they were influencing. And their heart attitudes and motives were wrong. Joshua and Caleb attempted to influence and encourage and instill something in the hearts of those people to get them to follow them in, but they could not persuade them. The Bible says that they entered not in because they were unpersuadable. They could not be persuaded to act upon the word of the living God. Joshua and Caleb were rewarded and entered in, but we see these others did not. They died by the plague. Heart failure took their lives. In Galatians chapter 5, 6, the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, circumcision and uncircumcision avails nothing. Whether we're a Jew or whether we're not a Jew, when we got saved, we're born again, we're in Christ. And what matters is our faith working by love to take us into the promises of God. That's what he's saying. Faith working by love. Another way of saying faith must work by love is found in Mark eleven twenty three through 26. And don't turn to it. Just stay there in Exodus. That says, Verily I say to you that if you would say to that mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you saith. Things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. But when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught in your heart against any. For if you forgive not, then neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. If we don't forgive those. In other words, faith, Jesus was saying, works by love. If we hold any ought in our hearts, any animosity, any bitterness, and anything within us, and that's what the word ought means, anything within us, especially unforgiveness, strife, envy, jealousy, hostility within our hearts, then Jesus is saying that that will shut down the life of faith quicker than anything else. This is the most important truth that we all have to learn in all of our lives if we as individuals and as a collective body are going to enter into the fullness of what God has for us. He said, faith works by love. It must spring forth from a heart of love, be energized by love. And if we're not operating in love, then our faith will not work to get us into the full promises of God. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We hold no hostility, no bitterness, no strife, no envy, no jealousy, etc., etc. It's that all these things are free. We're free from all those things. Our lives, our hearts are pure before God. Caleb had another heart within him. He refused to hold ill will, hostility, bitterness, envy, jealousy. He refused to be dominated by the forces or the, or the lust of the flesh or the forces of the senses. He refused. He kept his heart pure and clean. He wanted to see God move in his life. And the pure in heart will see God move. 
He saw to it that he was not judgmental or critical. They saw to it that they wholly followed the Lord, their God. If we want to be sure of entering into the full promises of God, we must make this dedication. We're moving on with God in love. We are moving on with God in love. No matter where we are at, we can take another step in love to move on with God so that our faith can be effectual and work for us to get us into the promise of God. Now, I want you to see this. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. When these Israelites were delivered from the Egyptian bondage, they had joy in their hearts. When they crossed over the Red Sea... They sang and danced before the Lord because of the victory that He provided for them. And likewise, when we first got saved by appropriating the blood of the Lamb, we had joy unspeakable and full of glory. We got baptized in water and rejoiced, sang before the Lord our praises. Got filled with the Holy Ghost and power, being led by the Spirit of God into another place of experience in Him. And thank God for it. They got finally to a place that they realized that they still had to face a wilderness. Before they could enter into that promised land, there were other experiences to experience in God. God wanted them to show what was in their hearts. He says, I'm going to see whether or not you're going to act on my word and believe my word. He says, I want to prove, and I want you to prove to me that man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the living God. And when their first test came, when they got to the waters of Merah, the waters were bitter and they found out that they had other needs in life. And God met them and told them and said to them in verse 26, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. Again, underline. And if you will do what is right in His sight. Underline. If you'll give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And we should know, if we do not know, that when this was written, there was not the permissive tense, so it was written in a causative tense or sense. And so really it should state, I will not permit these diseases to come upon you as I have permitted them to come upon the Egyptians. As I protected you then, I will continue to protect you, for I am the Lord your God that healeth thee. So in other words, I know you have other needs. I know you have need of sustenance. I know you have need of health and well-being. That water would have poisoned your system, but I am the Lord that healeth thee. And if, it's based on this condition, beloved if, if you meet the condition, if you will do these things, hearken diligently to my voice, if you do what is pleasing in my sight, if you'll give heed to or ear to my commandments to do them. In other words, if you will walk in line with the law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not have any strange gods before thee. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt remember to keep the Sabbath day holy, etc., etc. If you'll be obedient to my commandments, then you give me opportunity to move in your life to protect you from sickness and protect you from disease and see to it that you'll live long upon this earth and a number of your days I will fulfill. But it's based on this condition. And beloved, in the New Testament, we have a counterpart to that. Under the Old Covenant, if they had the potential to experience this Fullness of the blessings of God, 
We, under the New Testament, with a better covenant established upon better promises, with a better sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, have a greater potential. It should be more accessible to us than it was even to them. And this is how it operates. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you. See, their experiencing this move of God upon their lives was based upon their meeting the conditions, which was to give heed to His commandments. If they would do it, God would protect them and deliver them. And they would be free from these plagues, free from diseases, free from sicknesses. He'd be an enemy to the enemy, an adversary to the adversary. No miscarriages among them. No infertility, no sterility. He was saying all these things would be yours. I would provide every good and perfect gift. I would see to it that you get honey out of the rock. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was based on their obedience to the law. Beloved, John 13, 34 says, just make note of it, write it down. Don't turn to it. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. In other words, our faith must work by the commandment of love. And if the child of God will commit, make a decision to commit to the love of God, to walk in the love of God, to move on in the love of God, his faith would be an active force, a creative force. And when he calls upon the name of the Lord his God, there would be a response. But I want you to see this. It's not just our personal faith. By speaking out against the sickness or speaking out against the disease. It is our decision to dedicate ourselves to walk in the love of God that provides health and divine life. Do you see this? It is our decision to move in the love of God that opens up the highway for God to protect us. And I'll show this to you. In... James chapter 2, turn there with me, in verse 8 through 11. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law's transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Notice this. If you bear false witness against your neighbor, you've also committed adultery and you're a murderer. You're guilty of idolatry and all the other commandments. But if you make a decision to walk in the realm of love, then you fulfill the royal law. Which means you are free from any curse that would go along with the law. For he, he that said, verse 11, Do not commit adultery, said also do not, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be, shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now notice this. If we break one of the laws... He says you've broken all of the laws of God. And if you break the law of God, then the benefits cannot come upon you. The blessings cannot come upon you. If you commit adultery, it's as though you're a murderer. If you've killed somebody, it's as though you committed adultery and committed all the other sins against the law. Now, beloved, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, quickly turn there with me also. I want you to see this. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death or has death operating in his life. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Anyone that has animosity, anyone that has unforgiveness, anyone that has hatred in his heart for someone else is a murderer. And a murderer is someone who has broken the law of God. Thou shalt not kill. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, when a person does not forgive, when a person holds hostility, animosity, bitterness, envy, strife, and all these different things with inside their life, then he's saying it's as if this person's never been born again. It's those that don't have eternal life abiding in them that, that, that do these things. Those are the ones that do these things. And he says here that, that if, if you say you hate somebody from within your heart, then you're a murderer. And you're guilty of violating the law of God. And the blessings of law cannot, of God cannot rest upon you. And you see, when that happens, God cannot protect us. Our faith will be shut down, for it works by love. We'll not be able to enter in the fullness of the blessings of God. We will short-circuit the healing power of God, the delivering power of God, the strengthening power of God. The power of God that is to be operative in our life, to provide what we need to be successful in every realm of life, to protect us from poisonous things such as the water, poisonous food, and everything else. Our heart life is of vital importance, is what I'm saying here. And that's what God is saying. Our heart life is of vital importance. Now, a child of God cannot really hate from the heart. If someone hates from the spirit, that is on the inside, his spirit man, then you see he's not a child of God at all. He's living in spiritual death is what John is saying here. He's living in spiritual death, abiding in spiritual death. He is a murderer, a liar, an adulterer. He is someone who is not obedient to God. He has no life inside him. But someone says, you know, I hate so-and-so, or, or, or I, I hold unforgiveness in my heart, and that sort of thing. Let me explain this. When a child of God says he hates somebody or she hates somebody, when a child of God refuses to forgive somebody or is bitter towards somebody, what they're doing is they're allowing their emotions to override the spiritual forces that God put within our heart. They're allowing selfishness and, and all these other emotional feelings to override the love of God that, that He placed with inside their heart. They're not really saying from their heart, from their spirit man, because their spirit man is not in agreement with that kind of an attitude. Eternal life is imparted to the spirit of a man, but our emotions are always with us. And the lusts of our flesh, the flesh wants to rise up in rebellion many times against all kinds of people. I mean, it may happen to you even today or yesterday or the day before where you rose up in your emotions. They got the better of you. And you may have gone off into anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and all that sort of thing. And you may have held that thing and harbored inside your heart for a period of time. You know, you can try to use your faith to get a miracle from God. You're not going to get it. Because it shuts down the, for it shuts down the forces of life. You see? It blocks off the flowing of God's power to heal, to deliver, and to set free. And until that thing is dealt with, until freedom comes inside of the Spirit, until the love of God is released once again inside of the Spirit, the faith will not work to accomplish the purpose of the will of God. Creative ability will not flow. The power of God will not flow. It will eat within us those things. Bitterness as a canker. It will rise up and it will produce all kinds of things. And one thing is heart failure. I want you to see something here in Romans chapter 13 in connection with this. In Romans chapter 13, again, to verify the very fact 
that when we fulfill the royal law of love, it is as if we have fulfilled the law of God or the Mosaic law. We are fulfilling Mosaic law. And if one fulfilled the Mosaic law, he fulfilled the commandment of God. And God said, I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. It's not just our confession of faith that keeps sickness and disease away from the midst of us. Is that being made clear this morning? It's not just our confession of faith. I stand against sickness and disease. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Because you see, in, it's in this context that God said, I will remove sickness from you when you keep my commandments. And the commandment in the New Testament is the commandment of love. One commandment that fulfills all the other commandments. And here it says in Romans chapter 13 verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. We have a debt to pay in love. We owe love one to another. This is not primarily referring to owe no man money. It doesn't mean that. Beloved, in its proper setting and context, it's not talking about don't buy things on credit. People have used it as a law of double reference. It's not referring to don't buy things on credit. They have taken that scripture out of context and misused it, really. It's not meaning that. What it means is you owe a debt of love to all mankind. I owe a debt of love to all mankind. I owe it to God Himself. I am to love people as God has loved me. I am to love my brother and my sister as God has placed His love upon me and within my heart. As God's love has been shed shed abroad in my heart, I am to allow that love to rise up. I owe it to God and I owe it to my brother and sister to love them. And I could never, never pay that debt of love. I am to continue to love by day and by night, by day and by night, to allow love, God's love, to flow out of me. And if I do this, then I am fulfilling the law of God. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The latter part of verse 8. Look at that. And God told them the first thing. The first thing when they got across to the other side and started to complain. He said, I'm telling you something right now. I am making a pact, a covenant with you here today. That if you will fulfill my law and keep my commandments, I will remove sickness and disease away from the midst of you. Our being free from sickness and disease is based on our dedication and consecration to walk in the love of the living God. And by what degree we walk in the love of God is by what degree God will take sickness out of our lives and disease out of our lives and be our an adversary to our adversary and enemy to our enemies. By what degree we commit to walk in this realm of love. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment of God, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no will to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Make note of it. Number one, we must not transgress the moral law. Number two, we must not deprive any man of his wife. Number three, we must not rob any woman of her virtue. Number four, we must not take anyone's life. Number five, we must not hate anyone. Number six, we must not take what belongs to another. Number seven, we must not rob a man of his good name. Don't bear false witness. Number eight, we must not covet what belongs to another. Covetousness. I want your position. I want your ministry. I want what you have. I want your car. I want your house. I want your wife. We must not covet. We must not love ourselves only. I take care of myself. I provide for myself. I do for myself. It is not right to love ourselves only. We must love one another as He has loved us to fulfill the royal law. 
And in that atmosphere, he says, I could remove sickness and disease. And finally, love does not work any ill toward anyone. We must not work ill toward anyone. And what he's saying is this. If we will then choose to walk in this realm of love, by what degree we do, he's saying, then I'll remove sickness and disease away from the midst of you. And I want to testify. I want to, I want to have your attention. Here is a woman who said to the minister, I have hatred in my heart for my mother-in-law. And meeting with her and her husband, and he was with his wife, said, Look me in the eye and tell me you hate your mother-in-law. And she said, I hate my mother-in-law. Looking her, him right in the eye. He said, what happened down here on the inside when you said that? He said, some, she said, something rose up on the inside of me that didn't agree with what I just said. But I've been living my life hating my mother-in-law. I've been living my life with this bitterness and hostility inside me. He said, you allowed your emotions because of your environment. You've allowed your emotions to rise up to become bigger in your life than the very love of God that's inside your spirit. Your spirit is crying for freedom but your emotions are holding you in bondage. He said, you love your mother-in-law from your heart. Your spirit's in agreement with that. But as a child of God, you're not to allow those things to happen, all that to, to, to keep under the love of God. He says, you go home and you think about it and pray about it, and then you just go ahead and make it right, and you just act like you love your mother-in-law. And she said, you know, she went and did that, and before very long all her feelings began to change and to align themselves with the very love of God inside her heart. She wasn't giving the love of God its place in her life. And therefore, she interpreted it as meaning I hate her. And those feelings were, as I said, holding her life in bondage, her spirit life in bondage. And she was operating in spirit. Really, she was operating in death. That's what John meant. He said, you're operating in death. Don't operate in death. It's not worth it. Now listen, beloved. This same woman had a child who was very young. But in the 38 years of his practice, this one specialist in the field of epilepsy said that this child had the worst case of epilepsy that he had ever seen. And this woman was deeply concerned, of course, because this child would have convulsions and, and et cetera, et cetera, everything that goes with it. And it was just a young child. Asked this minister to come to the house and, and if possible, pray and, and so on and so forth. The same minister went to the house and said, the Lord instructed him to go. And said, you know, the Lord just said to me to tell you, you're the mother, you're the parent. Now that you've got this thing right, in other words, with your mother-in-law, now that you're operating in the love of God and in time past you weren't, you stand there before your child who is, about, who is entering into this convulsion and seizure. You stand there and you tell your child, you speak right out there, and the devil, you tell the devil, devil, I'm walking in the love of God. Take your hands off of my child. And he said that epilepsy and that demon force that was behind it like that disappeared and left. And that child was instantaneously made every wit whole, delivered and set free. Here's the point being made. It didn't take her but a few days to get out of holding bitterness animosity. I'm talking about it takes, in, you know, instantly you can get out of it, but even if, within a few days you don't perfectly mature in love, do you? 
It was the decision that she made to walk in the love of God that opened up the highway of God so He could move in her life that gave her great confidence in her God to stand boldly in the face of that opposition to rebuke that epileptic demon out of her child's life. And that child was instantaneously delivered and set free. And it was all because of operating in the love of God. I can give a testimony that attested the same thing. I remember one evening coming home. We were coming home from Youngstown. And I remember a fellow on the side of the road who obviously had a little bit too much to drink and had passed out, hit his head and was bleeding. And some, I had, we had seen him on the side of the road. We turned around. We came back. We stopped. It was late at night. The children were restless and, and, and sleeping and finally fell asleep. Jason was on my wife's lap. And I recall it was hard on her after the fact. It was hard on her sitting there in the car. But we went and another brother had just turned around and saw the same thing in the Lord. Together we got a hold of this person got him home, uh, began to, to minister to his needs, first of all, physically, and also to minister to his spiritual needs. So let him know. And he has since gone, has departed from this life, has entered into eternity. And we had opportunity at least to make it possible for him to accept Jesus Christ into his heart as Savior and Lord. And it was a trying time, as I said, on my wife, being sit, sitting out there in the car with the children on her lap and all that. You know the whole story, ladies around there. You know, it's not very comfortable sitting out there for an hour in, in, in a car in, a park, in, a, in the middle of the night somewhere. You know, uh, we have great places that my wife and I meet. We meet at cemeteries. <laughs> we meet at cemeteries and then we go out for lunch. We meet at hospitals in a parking lot and et cetera, et cetera. Well, and sometimes we just, you know, do things like this here. And I remember getting in a car and she just looked at me and said, we're going to have to tend to Jason. Jason was burning up with fever. You know, you know, you do the same thing. You go home, you do the same thing. You know, you go to the Word of God and you, you've got the name of Jesus. You've got the power of the Spirit. But, beloved, this was different. This was a different experience. And this gives, once again, confirmation of what's being said here today. I we got everybody else settled. I walked into the bedroom where Jason was lying down on the bed. And I walked in there and as I took about three steps into the room. It was as if something just came over me. And I just stood there looking at his little body there, lying limp. And I looked and it was just something just rose up on the inside of me and came over me. And then these words rose up inside my spirit. You walked in my love. And because you have had love and shared love and, 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 and gave your love unto others, I will also demonstrate my love unto you. And I stood there with great confidence and boldness inside my heart. See, the Bible teaches us in 1 John 3 that when one... Did you ever see this in the Bible before? Quickly, we've got a couple of minutes. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, in verse 17, and seeth his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, either in tongue, but indeed in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, because we walk in love and share love. And shall assure, and shall assure, look at that verse, and shall assure, or produce great confidence in our hearts before him. I stood there before God with great assurance in my heart. I looked at my child and I said, Fever, leave in the name of Jesus. And it was as if I saw a bird fly off the top of his head. 
just flew out of the room. You can see it just fly right off, to, right, just right from his, and he was instantly delivered and set free. But you see the point here? Oh, it's because you made the right confession? No! The confession was a product of the love of God that was rising up in my heart. The confidence, the assurance, because I was living in that realm of love, in demonstration of that love. What confidence, what assurance it produced. Praise God. But you know what? This is so good. I can't stop here. Look at it. And hereby we know that we're of the truth. Verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, that woman's heart was condemning her left and right because she was hating her mother-in-law. But now notice this. God is greater than our heart. Thank God He's greater. And He knows all things. If our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence toward God. If we missed the mark yesterday, what I'm saying is today we can get back under the grace of God. Today we can operate in the love of God. And it only takes a moment to confess and say, Father, forgive me. I'm not walking in love. I free myself of the bondage of fear, anxiety, of bitterness, of strife, of envy, jealousy, division. I free myself from every wrong motivating force in my life and I choose to walk in the realm of your love and humility to humble myself before you. You'll assure your heart before God. You'll rise up in the power of the Spirit. The Word will be a dynamic creative force in your life. And you'll speak out to the mountain. It'll be removed. Cast into the sea it'll go. Your promised land is for you to have. Rise up, people of God, and move on in love and let us enter in together. Amen? Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand before the Lord. Praise God Almighty. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.